Are you interested in learning more about how to start your Salesforce career? Be sure to register for our next live webinar showing you exactly how the Salesforce Career Development Program works, our latest statistics, and up-to-date information about what's going on in the Salesforce ecosystem. To register now, head over to talentstacker.com forward slash live. That's talentstacker.com forward slash L-I-V-E. We look forward to seeing you on the next live webinar. Yeah, 100% agree. Get your admin cert ASAP. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it worked out really nicely. Hi, I'm Anita Smith. I'm Bradley Rice. And And you're you're listening listening to the Salesforce Salesforce for Everyone podcast. We're back with the first Q&A of the season. Brad and Anita contemplate the future of Salesforce amidst the rise of ChatGPT. I feel kind of bad. I'm I'm feeding it information so it can grow and get, (laughs) get smarter. Also, Anita shares an exciting new life update. It doesn't matter what else we talk about on the show today. That's going to be the only outcome from this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's episode, we will be doing the first Q&A episode of the season where we get the privilege of answering questions from the community on the show. And with me, as always, to get these questions answered for you is Anita Smith. How's it going, Anita? Hey, uh, going pretty well. I have some exciting news from my last trip. Um, I am engaged. That is so awesome. Congratulations. So obviously, I knew this before the show, but still huge congratulations. And I know this community is going to be so excited for you. Like, it doesn't matter what else we talk about on the show today. That's going to be the only outcome from this episode is going to be Anita's engaged and it's amazing. So congratulations. Oh, great. Cool. I wanted to talk about the whole proposal. That's perfect. <laughs> we'll just stick to that for the show. Uh, um, anyway, so what's new with you? Uh, I think following that, probably not much. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we're, we're getting ready for some community events in person. So that's going to be fun seems like this winter, we didn't really do a whole lot in person. And then coming into the spring now, it's been kind of dry. So it's going to be fun to, you know, really get in person with people. So I am excited to re-engage with the community. All right. So let's start with the first question. I've actually seen this question a few times in the past couple months, and it's about cert collecting. People refer it to collecting like Pokemon. People don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, or if they should just, you know, get certs when it's needed. What is your opinion about this great debate, Bradley? Yeah, it's a good way to phrase it. It's definitely a great debate. I mean, we definitely saw this conversation heat up a lot. I know on my LinkedIn feed a few months back, and it was an interesting conversation. I would say it was also a somewhat divisive conversation, which I'm not in love with. I love when we can come out of a conversation and give people direction and empower them to you know, grow. And I saw a lot of conversation on LinkedIn that just didn't feel like that was the outcome. Felt like people just wanted to pick sides and I really don't enjoy that side of it. But I think it is an important topic, especially when we're looking at the community that we serve and the people we want to educate about how they can think about these topics. So for me, to your point, going back to the question, it's we've got 30 plus, maybe even 40 Salesforce certifications now from entry level Salesforce associate and administrator, you know, up to these very specialized technical architecture certifications. And For a lot of people, they just want to collect them all because it feels comfortable, right? It's like, you got to catch them all. So we're going to go get all these certifications. And if we do that, then we're bound to get a job because we've got all these accolades in our favor. And then there's the other side of the fence that's saying, 
wait, hold on a second. You should be getting certifications because you're interested in the topic or because something you're doing at work requires that you understand this information or something you've done at work has given you a lot of context around this topic. And now you can go get certified because you're actually pretty intelligent on the topic. And I go both ways. I I think I lean towards the side that says, get certifications that you're actually educated on. Take the time, learn the topic, make sure that you actually understand it pretty well. And if you're not sure which certification to get next, then see what topics interest you, like actually interest you, because you'd rather be appealing to employers who are aligned with you. And a lot of time when we talk about how to select employers, we talk about alignment, alignment of your interests and values with the interests and values of the employer. And when you get certifications that align with your interests, then you end up getting jobs that align with your interest. And that makes for a really healthy career. Now, when you go out and just get certification after certification after certification, you can do that in a healthy way and it's your choice. And if that's what you want to do, go do it. But I have seen people who might fall into a trap of cheating or looking up answers online because they're just trying to shortcut the process. And anytime you get in that sort of siloed vision of, I just need more certs, I need another certification, I need another one, it can influence you if you're not careful to try to find shortcut ways to get to that. And you know, we saw a lot of that on LinkedIn too, people getting 10 certifications in six months. And it just throws a red flag and it goes like, what happened there? Like, well, how did that person do that? I struggled to get one certification in six months. How did they get 10? So I think it's just being careful. But at the end of the day, I say, do what feels good to you. It's not up to us to tell you what to do. But at the same time, my advice would be align your certifications with your career goals. And spending your time getting certifications is likely not the most efficient route to furthering your career. So I know I was kind of long-winded there, but I would love to get your take as well. Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page with you. Do what sparks joy. If it brings you happiness and joy to collect them like Pokemon, then do it. But one caveat is if you have never worked in any type of Salesforce role, be wary that it will look suspect if you have like six certifications and zero job experience. But once you start your job and you're finding you have enough time to get that many certifications, sure, why not? But just know it's not a need, it's a want. You don't need to get all these certifications. If you want to, you can. But again, choice is yours. You don't have to listen to anyone else. You don't have to follow anyone's path. This is your own path. You have your own story to create. I would say too, like consider some alternative options. Like if you're gung-ho on certifications, you know, in the world, there are certifications and accolades outside of Salesforce that could be beneficial. Like you, for instance, I believe, don't you have like a a Scrum Master certification? I have two actually, Bradley. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're welcome. I'm I'm glad you do. And, And I think that just points to like, I don't have any certifications outside of Salesforce, but the more I watch other professionals who are truly interested in progressing their careers, they tend to go outside of Salesforce. Once they've got those first two, three, four Salesforce certifications, they start to look elsewhere and they go, what would make me a better professional? What would make me a better coworker? What would make me a better employee to further myself? And a lot of times Salesforce doesn't have a certification for whatever that topic is. And so I would say, look look to that as well. There are these you know, project management certifications or just what does it look like to move through a specific project successfully and what are the strategies there and what are the methodologies that you could learn about those particular nuances 
And Salesforce doesn't have a lot of certifications for those types of things. So I would just consider that when you're thinking about next steps. And if you're one of these collector people, then you can collect and it doesn't have to be inside specifically the Salesforce world. Yeah. I wanted to add the reason I have two Scrum Master certifications is because my current role, I'm a Scrum Master. The first one is great. Having two, I would only recommend it if you want to go that route. My personal experience on getting certs, I work on certs that I need for my job and maybe future certs that I need for a future project I know I'm going to be put on. I'm not a collector. I mean, I, I do have a lot of my on my plate a lot of times. So that's probably why it prevents me from getting all kinds of certs. But I like to focus on being good at the current job. All right. So we have a voicemail question from Jasmine. Let's play that question. Hey, Anita and Bradley. This is Jasmine calling from American Finest City, San Diego. Question for you. Do you see a trend or do you think that in the near future, the Salesforce admin role and related roles will eventually be outsourced to other countries like India, Vietnam, things like that? Curious to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much for all you do. All right. So outsourcing, that's been a topic for years. You know, I've been in the Salesforce space for, I guess, what, 2010. So we're we're in year 13 now. And I think in the tech space, outsourcing is not new. I, I guess for everyone listening, outsourcing would be when you take, you're typically seeing jobs in the, the US, North America, paying more than globally what you would see with tech jobs in other countries. And so for companies, I guess they can be incentivized to hire workers outside of the US in order to complete these same tasks for a lesser amount, and therefore they improve their profit margins. So the gamification of that is definitely intriguing, and you can see where companies would definitely be interested in doing that. Now, what I would say is that Salesforce has been around for 20 plus years now, and so I would say the amount of outsourcing that you're going to see is here. It's already here. We already have companies who outsource some of the work that we do. So it's not unusual, but it's also not taking away from the roles that we see available today. It's not like outsourcing was invented in 2023, and now suddenly we're seeing it happening. It's been around for decades. So I think that's the first thing to note on this topic. The other thing I would say is that specifically in the question, I noticed that they mentioned the Salesforce administrator role, and then of course, roles that are related to that. And what we've seen historically in outsourcing is that it's not the customer-facing roles that are outsourced. So it's not your administrators and your business analysts and your project managers and groups like that is not what we've typically seen. It's more of the technical roles like development type work and coding and things that you can take from an architect or an analyst or a manager, and you can hand that off and say, hey, here's you know all these tasks or 20 hours of work that we need done on a specific code set. Can you knock that out and send it back to us? So I would note those things first of all, and I can go on, but I'd, I'd like to hear sort of your thoughts on what we've covered so far, Anita. Yeah. I mean, half my team is from outside the US already, but I don't think there is a worry. I think what you said about them being technical roles is true. It's usually developers, QA, testers. And the reason those are probably outsourced is because there is a huge gap 
in developers in the US. It's hard to find a good developer that's located in the US. So yeah, sometimes companies are forced to outsource just because they can't find the resources within the US. And another point I wanted to make, yes, outsourcing happens, but also there are a lot of pain points with that. And companies will eventually either have to find a way to work around it. Like it's a lot of time zone differences. It doesn't make the job easier. So the company has to weigh out those pro and cons. But from what I've seen here at TalentSacker, we have international members. And I see that those members, they try to land US jobs and it's difficult for them. They're not able to land those roles. It's not all companies that are outsourcing. So I don't think you have anything to worry about, Jasmine, at least in the near future. Yeah, I would agree with that. And your final point there about how difficult it can be for individuals from other countries to try to get some of these roles that are inside the US, that's definitely you know a major issue and, and something that we try to get around at times for some members. And you know I've worked with a lot of recruiters and there are legalities in place where a lot of companies, I'm not sure the exact details on this, but I know that at least with a lot of the enterprise companies we've worked with, they have to attempt to find qualified labor inside of the United States or their home country before they can go source labor from outside of the country. And that's just based on labor laws and attempting to drive the economy in the country that that company's headquartered in. And talking about this actually really reminds me of what's come up recently. And that's a conversation around chat GPT and these GPT models that are being used to effectively do the same thing we're talking about now. It's outsourcing tasks But instead of to someone outside of the country, it's outsourcing it to a robot, effectively. And it's been a huge conversation. I think it really spiked at the end of 2022 and then has carried into 2023 heavily as we see, you know, these neural net models really advance going into this year. So, yeah, I'd love to take it there if you want to, Anita. I mean, what what are your thoughts about Chad GPT and is it a cause for concern for Salesforce professionals? I am a huge fan of ChatGPT. I use it all the time. I don't think it is a concern. It is, in the end, a tool. And you have to be able to know how to best utilize that tool to maximize whatever results. So yeah, it can write code, it can write formulas, but you still need to have that knowledge on like, where the formula should go, if it's doing the right thing, if the code works well in the whole architecture of your Salesforce org. Like I use it for emails, email templates, resumes, but I still have to keep giving it instructions. It's not like when I ask something and ask it to summarize or rewrite this stuff, like it's one and done. Like I use it as a tool to help me, but I still have to give it extra instructions. Yeah, I would agree. I've always thought, well, not always thought, I've thought as the months have gone by of seeing this really become mainstream is that it still requires a lot of oversight. Like you have to be the professional. There is no shortcut. You can't be a junior Salesforce administrator or a junior Salesforce developer and then use ChatGPT and suddenly become a senior Salesforce developer. Now, I think it can work the other way around a little bit. Like you could be a senior Salesforce developer and suddenly it's kind of like you have an assistant. So it can help you with efficiency and productivity, but it's not going to replace you. And I think when we look at the talent gap, specifically in the Salesforce ecosystem, it's almost like a little mini savior where it's like, please come help these companies 
that, you know, they already have a full-time Salesforce professional making $120,000 at one of these small customers and they really need to hire somebody else, but they can't afford to. And it'd be great if they could, you know, just have something to help make them more efficient and more productive. And I think it can do that. But looking back historically on technology, like as technology advances, we do see roles change. And I think that's why a lot of times we've seen people say things like the Salesforce administrator role is going away. It's not going to be here anymore. And if you don't know much about Salesforce, you go, oh my gosh, Salesforce administrators aren't needing anymore. But what's meant, the sentiment behind that statement is that Salesforce administrators, as we knew them 10 years ago, are really transitioning into becoming what we call like declarative developers, people who they can build automations. They can also do the administrative tasks, but they can use functionality like Flow to build some really cool automations inside of Salesforce or build incredible reports and dashboards that you would have thought, you know, you needed a analytics expert to build these things, but now suddenly administrators can do it because the technology is getting easier to use. So it's not necessarily that any role is going away. And I, again, one of those divisive conversations is like admins versus developers. And to me, there's no versus. It's just that there's so much opportunity for every single Salesforce role because there's just too much need. And if you look at things like, would you say that when the Google search engine came out, did that just unemploy a lot of people? When smartphones came out, did that unemploy a lot of people? No, I would say it enabled existing professionals, the people who adopt that technology end up being on the forefront, moving forward, getting those promotions, getting those raises, becoming more valuable. So I would say ChatGPT, same thing. Don't fear it, adopt it because it's going to be the thing that differentiates you. What, what if you talk to a coworker and they had a problem and you said, have you tried Googling it? And they went, what's Google? Like, oh my gosh, what a disadvantage you're at. And the same thing, that's going to be the norm with ChatGPT in two or three years. It's going to be, hey, I've got this problem. Did you ChatGPT it? No, I don't really know how to use ChatGPT. You don't want to be that person. Yeah, excellent point, which brings me to, I mean, there are special tools to be a Google expert, you know, using the plus sign, the minus signs, all those extra stuff. Most people don't like, they don't even know that exists. And with ChatGPT, there's certain prompts you can say to help it, I guess, get your answer clearer or faster. But I do want to touch on one point, the human side, you're still going to have to talk to your coworkers. Imagine your coworker having to go to ChatGPT and asking for support help. I don't know about anyone out there, but my experience with like chatbots or like calling customer support and having to talk to a computer, like I start dropping F-bombs and asking them to transfer me to a person because it gets really frustrating. So you're still needed to translate requirements, to prioritize, to ask questions that ChatGPT may not be aware of. There's so many like human touch points that it, it's not there yet. I don't know if it'll be there in the future, but right now you still need that human touch. Yeah, I agree with you. And I could definitely see the trend when you take the humanness out of it. Like I've noticed a few bloggers writing blogs and then they're getting railed in the comments because everyone's like, clearly this wasn't you. Like this was ChatGPT. And I want to see an article from you. If you're going to put yourself as the author, I want to see it from you. I want this to be your creative thoughts and your art, not the art of ChatGPT. And I think the same is going to go for these, you know, especially major Salesforce solutions where you have it just write a set of code and you just copy paste that in. And your senior developers and architects are going to go, that's not you. That was ChatGPT. I know you know 
all these things about our company and how we work and the nuances of our business. And meanwhile, you thought that piece of code would work. Like clearly you having all the knowledge you have did not do this. And I think we're starting to see that with, again, like blog articles, LinkedIn posts, social media posts, things like that. I think it's even going to add a layer of appreciation for the people who still think critically and use it as an assistant and not as a replacement for themselves. You know, ChatGPT as an assistant, amazing. Like I, I love it. I'm a huge fan, although I feel kind of bad. I'm, I'm feeding it information so it can grow <laughs> and get, <laughs> get smarter. But for now, I, I'm utilizing it to the fullest. Yeah, that's great. All right. We have another voicemail from Montel. I think he asks about fast tracking. Can we play that voicemail? Hi, my name is Montel. I love your podcast. I just finished listening to it right now. been really diving into it the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm doing the five-day challenge right now as we speak. And um, I guess my question would be, what would be your advice to fast-tracking into a Salesforce career? I you know, worked at the University of California for three years doing human resources. I was also doing human resources at Amazon prior to this. So I used Salesforce in both. I was a part of the launch team when uh, Salesforce came on to Amazon. It was part of, you know, helping HR learn it, understand it, and teach it to other people. But just looking to full-on just crossover careers, wanting that work-life balance between, you know, not being remote sometimes or hybrid, or now we're all back in the office, just wanting that family time. And uh, actually, you know, looking at the entry-level positions, I will be taking about a $25,000 pay cut, which I'm okay with for just the financial freedom and peace and time that this will buy for me and my family. Uh, I know this is pretty long-winded, but again, just wanting to kind of understand the, the process to getting fast track because I currently have a lot of time on my hands. So I, I plan on finishing. I see this 70 hour course. I believe I could finish that within the next two weeks. So what will be your uh, advice? All right. So there's a lot to unpack in this question. So first of all, thank you, Montel. And there's a lot that I heard here. So uh, number one, you're on the right track. So you're knocking out the five day challenge. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, if you listen to this podcast, you know what that is. But if you don't, you can find that at talentstacker.com forward slash start. And it's a five-day walkthrough of basically taking you from where to get started on Trailhead all the way through like how to get set up on LinkedIn, things to look out for to make sure that you fast track really what he's asking, how you fast track uh, to jumping into a Salesforce career. And I think to his point, it looks like he's got 30 plus hours a week that he's willing to dedicate to making this Salesforce career a reality. And when you have that amount of time, I can imagine fast tracking is on your mind. And so what you can do is we talked about this in episode one of season three. So I'm not sure what episode that is. We can go back, but we'll have it in the show notes. And it was all about episodes one through eight and how to walk through that process of going from not knowing what Salesforce is to landing a job. And if you've got that 30 plus hours a week, it's going to be really important to first start with your Salesforce administrator certification and just moving headfirst into that. But it's going to be so important not to only focus on the certification because most people, it takes them about 200 hours of studying and training to be ready for the Salesforce administrator certification. So even at 30 hours a week, you can expect that's probably going to take, if you're fast, you know, you've got some end user experience, it's probably going to take you five to seven weeks, let's say. And in those five to seven weeks, if you spend time on LinkedIn, building your brand and really going out there and growing your network, 
then you could find yourself adding 100 new connections every single week on LinkedIn so that when you go and you go, hey, I got my Salesforce administrator certification and I'm open to a Salesforce role, instead of saying that to no one, you get to say that to 100 people times the seven weeks that you were building your brand. So you might have 500 to 700 connections on LinkedIn now that you can go broadcast that to instead of saying it to no one, right? So you're building that network as you go. There's a couple of other things I noted too that are in your favor. Number one, you've used Salesforce as an end user at the last two companies that you worked for. So end user experience is massive and you have to leverage that in your interview conversations and on your LinkedIn profile and in your resume. You want Salesforce littered throughout your resume and LinkedIn profile. So you've got to go get that added to those previous positions that you were in. And another thing I noticed is that one of those companies was Amazon. And I'm not a big fan of just like working at the name brand company because it's the name brand company. But the truth is when people see Amazon on your resume, they're going to like that. It's going to hold some credibility. You worked for a big tech company. They're going to like that. So go get that Salesforce administrator certification while building your brand on LinkedIn. And I think you're going to find yourself in a really just strong position here in just a few weeks. So what do you think, Anita? Yeah, 100% agree. Get your admin cert ASAP. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it worked out really nicely. You have amazing experience. The fact that you can leverage your experience in higher ed, you know, maybe focus on a higher education, either consultancy that focuses on that or another university that uses Salesforce. You can use that because you have experience as an end user there. And then the Amazon thing, you're part of the launch team. That is huge. You have this really strong position where you can just put on your HR hat and reverse engineer how you guys went about hiring Salesforce professionals to your team. So just think about like what you were looking for in that role in candidates and then do it. Like what was your dream candidate? And then what can you do to appear like that dream candidate on LinkedIn, on your resume? So really strong position and wish you all the best. Yeah, I would say last thing on that would be letters of recommendation and references. So if you were part of Salesforce teams in the past and you know some people who are Salesforce professionals, obviously you can get references from your current managers and coworkers and stuff like that. But if it's somebody who's a Salesforce professional in the ecosystem vying for you as a Salesforce professional, then that's going to carry a little bit more weight in those references and letters of recommendation. So just consider that. And of course, I think Anita and I can agree that the actual best way to fast track your Salesforce career would be if you're in a position to do it, just join the Talent Stacker program. And that's actually going to walk you through the most efficient route to making this a reality. Yeah, you can totally DIY it, but Talent Stacker is the fast track. <laughs> All right. So for those of you out there who is listening, who doesn't have an HR background, we actually came up with Talent Stacker community pages created by the amazing Alex Warnicke. So if you head over to talentstacker.com forward slash community, you can get some information on other careers people have pivoted from into a Salesforce career. So there's stuff on healthcare professionals, hospitality, blue collar, nonprofit, education. We have a few others coming soon, military, stay-at-home parent, alternative careers, and outside of the US. Some of the things mentioned are stories from actual Talent Sacker members who successfully pivoted, 
a list of transferable skills. So if, if you're not sure, like if you can really do it, just go check out that page and see what skills you already have that can be used in a Salesforce career. And we also have videos and frequently asked questions from people who are pivoting from those careers into a Salesforce career. Yeah, those communities are absolutely fantastic. If you have not checked them out, like just follow the link. It'll be in the show notes. Go find those. And it is a great place to start if you have one of those backgrounds that Anita mentioned. All right. So that's it for this week's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And if you're getting value out of the show, please share it with your friends and family and be sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on and go post about it on your LinkedIn or socials and let people know that you're getting value out of the show. Next week, we are going to be diving into kicking off a new little mini series inside of this, all about the different types of Salesforce roles that you can get into. And so we're going to break those down starting next week. And we hope to see you there. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. To get started for free on your own Salesforce career, go to talentstacker.com forward slash start or check the show notes. There you'll find all the resources you need to start earning 60 to 80,000 in as little as eight months, no matter your education or career background. The Salesforce for Everyone podcast was produced by Edmund T and engineered by Andrew Mendonza. If you like what we do at this scrappy can-do podcast, please help others find us by leaving a five-star rating and a great review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now. See you next time.